Well, researchers of the future, if you were wondering what we were doing here in the 2020s about climate change, the answer is we were committing to net zero. We think of ourselves as a really important tool that we have to have in the fight against climate change. I don't think it should be the only solution, but we need everything we can bring to the table. Carbon removal now has to be thought of as part of plan A for responding to climate change. Here in British Columbia, we collect CO2 directly out of the atmosphere. To some people, it seems like something that's way down the road, but the technology is ready for us to use now. the gap between the technical and social sciences, our team reached out to Professor Nauko Ellis, a leading researcher at the Clean Energy Research Center and professor at UBC's Chemical and Biological Engineering Department. Professor Ellis specializes in biomass utilization, CO2 capture, and multi-phase systems. With the help of her expertise in research, we attempt to understand what carbon capture, utilization, and sequestration, or CCUS, sometimes referred to as carbon capture and storage, to CCS, really is and what the scope for its application is in international climate action. Join your co-hosts Shreya and Gaurav in the Global Get Down podcast's first ever interdisciplinary episode with an engineering professor at UBC as we attempt to break down CCUS and assess its relevance to both disciplines. I just wanted to start off with looking at the context of global climate ambitions because COP28 is coming up and we have since the Paris Agreement and before that, we have various sort of benchmarks for how we're expected to address climate change as a global community. And I'm just wondering where CCUS fits into this entire equation. Is it something that often gets a lot of attention at these events? Does it, um, is it enshrined in or mentioned at all in sort of these landmark protocols like the Paris Agreement? And is it mentioned in any IPCC reports? Just to give us a sense of where we're at with CCUS at a global stage. CCUS is um, a part of uh, IPCC report as well. Um, in the 2022 report, they also um, emphasized again in terms of carbon reduction um, and um, CCUS is one of the many tools uh, that are considered to be significant. Uh, is there any international or national coalition of actors that are working towards advancing the employment of CCUS as a climate solution? Mm-hmm. There are a number of um, those type of strategic multilateral cooperation internationally. There's uh, one that I've been involved in, which is Mexico, U.S., and Canada. There's also um, Accelerating CCS Technologies, ACT, which is, expands a little bit more than North America and uh, goes to Europe um, as well. Um, so there are a number of those type of bilateral and multilateral um, cooperation being sought throughout the world. And what are the intentions of these bilateral and multilateral cooperation organizations? Is it just to advance CCUS in a global kind of stage, bring up awareness about this technology, or is it more about enshrining this in key climate action plans for different countries? Yeah, I think it's, it's both uh, in the sense that we need to learn from each other. Certain company uh, countries are a little bit more advanced in different areas. So by coming together, we're able to advance the technology and implementation much faster, we hope. 
at the same time, each uh, countries would have their goals. So according to their goals, they're able to then take it back to say, where would CCUS fit into their GHG emission reduction goals? And um, yeah, so it, there's a lot of um, collaborative spirit in a sense at this stage. So is CCUS likely to become a more important issue to consider in international agreements? In international agreements, I'm not sure if it is going to become a further, well, more important aspect of it. Um, It certainly is in the works, but in terms of how to reduce carbon emissions, that's probably not necessarily prescriptive. So in that sense, it might look a little bit different. So just to take a step back and then sort of understand what CCUS actually is, and if you could explain the concept of CCUS in as simple sort of language (laughs) as possible, just so that we understand what we're actually dealing with, and then we can situate this again in the international context. Sure, yeah. CCUS stands for Carbon Capture, Utilization, and Sequestration, or sometimes Carbon Capture, Utilization, and Storage. It actually has two separate components. One is the capture component, and one is after you capture or have the pure stream of CO2, what do you do with it? And so the first part, uh, where there's a lot of technology already um, that are available, is the capture part. And in essence, what you're trying to do is, let's say from flue gas or even from air, you're trying to filter or capture CO2 to make it a concentrated stream. It's almost, you could consider it as a separation mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, try to um, get the CO2 molecules away from the rest of the gas. And I'm assuming that different technologies to filter out the CO2 from the original emitted gas. But when you say the capture storage of CO2 or CCUS, is this restricted to purely carbon dioxide or does it also address other greenhouse gases? Um, normally, when we're talking about CCS or CCUS, we are dealing with uh, carbon dioxide. And of course, methane is another uh, further, you know, more potent uh, GHG gas. Um, but um, the capture mechanism is, would look different. And so CCUS mainly refers to carbon dioxide. Well, it's interesting because um, certain capture mechanism could capture, let's say, socks, um, mm-hmm. sulfur dioxide, or other gases as well. In fact, um, lime is um, actually initially developed to capture um, sulfur dioxide and realized that it could also capture CO2. So mm-hmm. certain development of different chemicals or sorbents um, will be, can be directed to, towards different gases as well. And so then from a marketing point of view, could you say that carbon capture is actually a bit of a misnomer since there are other greenhouse gases like sulfur oxides that are captured? And for example, I remember reading in the Boundary Dam uh, doc that you sent us, I think they did mention that both nitrous and sulfur oxides are captured. So is this a bit of a misnomer just from a marketing point of view? I'm not sure. If, yeah, it's, it's interesting because how we read or what we read depends on how the narrative is constructed. And of course, in a industrial setting, and especially coal power plant like Boundary Dam, CO2 absolutely is a major emission source. At the same time, there's so many other impurities and um, pollutants 
that are being emitted. Um, so how do you um, put a story around that? Do we say that, oh, CCUS is going to capture all of it? Or is it going to be something a little bit more focused on CO2? It, it does both. Um, but it might mean that you need to have different um, unit operations to deal with the impurities first before you can capture CO2. Mm. So there, there's a lot of stories behind behind the hood, perhaps. So does each country have a measurable maximum potential um, CO2 storage? And if so, what is Canada's? Mm. Uh, I won't be able to tell you the numbers on <laughs> that one. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting... Um, thing to think about and because it's not like we've been looking for storage everywhere every time we want to assess and uh, pull put put a a, um, a measurement device in the ground to see if there's any storage potential that's millions of dollars so what we know so far in terms of storage areas um, mainly are in alberta and because we could sort of, we know the geology a little bit better because we have been mining and um, oil and gas has been extracted from there. Um, depleted uh, gas wells, those are a great um, number of great sites uh, that have good storage units. But quite frankly, let's say for BC, we know that there's some storage area capacity in the northern, uh, northeast of BC. But we haven't really looked for it in, mm. let's say, Lower Mainland or even Central BC. So we actually don't know so much. Although there's a lot of activities um, such as Geosciences BC, who's um, trying to map that out and be able to understand storage capacities. And when we do say storage capacity, what's the metric to decide whether a certain area is well, capable of storing CO2? Is it mainly underground available area where we could store the CO2 in a safe zone? Is it, uh, what are the different storage options essentially is what I'm asking. Mm. There are many um, different storage um, mechanisms uh, depending on the geological formation. Um, normally, of course, we're looking for a site where they might have a cap rock so that um, CO2, in case it did get more, um, became uh, mobile that it would still be captured and not be released as the density difference would allow it to to rise um, so there there are ways in which you could accelerate co2 to convert into um, carbonate so becomes a part of rock formation those are the sites that are most desirable because then you could ensure that CO2 is being captured for a very long time. Um, so there are um, experts in that field that do a lot of research. So. And so based off of current studies, based off of these different storage techniques, which it seems seems to be putting this capital CO2 back into the natural environment almost, are there environmental impacts to that? Are there, what's, what, what's the assessment? level on that what is the census? yeah I don't know if we have enough research done and data around that there have been number of cases uh, that are being monitored you know especially around um, Alberta uh, where they have been storing co2 now yeah so there there's some cases it's appeared in um, news articles but I think 
yeah, a lot more needs to be done in terms of more monitoring. So what do you say would be the response to claims that CCUS is a distraction from renewable energy sources? Mm -hmm. um, CCUS is tooted as, you know, um, enabler of oil and gas as well. And there are a number of narratives. From my point of view, um, CCUS is one of the many tools and it should not be a distraction uh, from renewables. And yet, there's certain industries that would um, need CCUS, for example, steel and um, concrete uh, or cement industry. Those are industries that have a process-based CO2 emissions. And for that, as long as we keep on building buildings and roads, uh, you know, bridges, we would need those. And um, in order to truly decarbonize certain areas, that CCUS is going to have to be uh, one of the methods to do that. I'm wondering about the history of CCUS, almost the origin story, where if prominent oil and gas players today seem to be the most prominent supporters of CCUS technologies, just because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming that's the case, in industries like cement and steel where as you've laid out it seems practical for them to employ this technology where construction and urban development is almost an inevitable process you can't really stop that it's better to do that with ccus than without is what i'm understanding the argument is mm -hmm. but in the origin story of how ccus came up just to get kind of like a context or a sense where did this technology originate from when did this initially kind of begin are there any records for the first ccus project in north america for instance I think the AIM-based uh, capture technology um, was around um, basically capturing uh, natural gas um, cleanup process. So it does it, it did originate um, from industrial uh, processes and realizing that we were able to uh, capture CO two um, back then. It was not necessarily meant uh, for CO2 capture at that time. But separation was was something that we were interested in. And then and both then, of us are art students. We have very, at least I'm speaking for myself, I have a very little technical background. So I'm just a bit confused about the actual processes on the ground because I know you can explain it to us. Maybe our engineering audience will understand it a bit better than I am. But just as sort of like if a common man were trying to understand how CCUS works, how would you compare how would you convince them that it's better to enact a CCUS project inside a city with a lot of industrial movement, that that's better to do than simply planting a bunch of trees? What's the what's the kind of trade-off there? Well, they're both um, both really important, and CCUS is by no means a solution for every situation. There. Um, what we call it a life cycle analysis is a tool that we sort of like um, look at what is the carbon intensity of taking CO2 and capturing and doing something versus intensity of uh, moving biomass around to make energy or having uh, land use change. And so we have to remember that in certain specific contexts, CCUS will make sense. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if we do have forests uh, that are having naturally capturing CO2, that's also something that we should be able to account and be able to um, put that in the mix as mm -hmm. well. 
not sure if I'm <laughs> answering your question. Fair enough. Uh, so what new technology can aid in this process and what can still be improved in the current technologies for CCUS? Mm -hmm. Well, CCUS itself has so many technologies. Um, and the tradition, or I guess it's the first um, kind of the batch of technologies that got in, um, um, developed was using amine base and it's kind of a liquid based. Um, but there's a lot of benefits to having sor uh, sorbent-based or particles that could capture CO2 at a much higher temperature. And so if you're dealing with emission flu, flu gas that are high temperature, instead of cooling it down, using energy to cool it down to use amine, um, you can use higher temperature capture. So there are a number of things that um, a lot of research has been going on in terms of improving each of those kind of technologies um, and there's still a lot uh, more, to, more to go as well. When you say that CC, this is kind of going back to your previous answer, but when you say that CCUS is applicable to certain solutions but maybe not to all and it should be enacted in, in conjunction with other solutions like just planting other forest reforestation and stuff, could you give us examples of cases where CCUS, you would say, does apply, specific cases where if you're presented with a case study, you'd say oh, CCUS is definitely a good solution in this case. Yeah, um, it's all a balance, I think, because instead of CCUS, you might think of changing the process so everything happens with electricity, right? So is that possible for steel manufacturing? Mm. Currently, perhaps not. Is that really reasonable um, to have all everything um, done in electric by electricity and hopefully that electricity is a clean source, right? In BC it is cleaner than anywhere else. Even so, do we have enough, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's really difficult to say for this one, for sure it should be CCUS. Um, even looking at chemical processes, certain things we're able to uh, change certain processes so that it reduces the carbon footprint or intensity or GHG emissions and we might not need to build that CCUS. We can move on then to our next section which is just talking about implementing CCUS on a larger scale and understanding how this could fit into national policies. Just to start off, how would you propose that governments, if we take Canada for example, approach if at all, funding and incentivization of CCUS in these specific steel, cement, high-emitting industry contexts? So uh, already Canada has, a federal government has been um, supporting CCUS research. Um, they had a number of funding calls in the past few years, including, including this year as well, to really support um, advancing the technology readiness level. So going from lab scale in universities to really uh, making it a pilot scale so we can demonstrate um, the efficacy and then learn from that demonstration plant to a full uh, implementation. That's something that federal government has already been doing. Um, at the same time, there's not an energy kind of policy um, overarching policy for Canada. It's uh, provincially um, decided. And so it then becomes a provincial 
kind of uh, jurisdiction to think about how to get to the goals of mm-hmm. GHG reduction. And also since the cost of CCUS is so high, uh, how could we make it economically viable, especially for developing countries? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's true that it is very costly. At the same time, any kind of, let's say, big chemical processes, the first kind of version is very expensive. And as we um, go and improve the processes and technologies, it becomes a lot more um, accessible, um, economically accessible, and we learn from all those different um, implementations and versions. Um, so in terms of um, CCUS in countries that are um, not as you know well-to-do financially, I think international collaboration really becomes key mm. in terms of making things available and really kind of thinking around, you know, how do we do this for, not just for a country, but really globally? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we come together? And, and so that's why I think the multilateral co- collaboration that is happening is hopeful, but mm-hmm. hopefully that becomes a lot more of a mentality of how we need to deal with this. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, CO2 gets emitted, but it affects all of us, and it unfortunately affects the vulnerable uh, countries in certain um, areas, and that's a really um, unfortunate reality. And so I do think that uh, places like Canada and um, countries that do have the capacity to develop and support these technologies to advance, we should really when you say international collaboration is obviously key, especially to expanding CCUS to countries which can't really afford it upfront, are there any global conventions or conferences that are held maybe on an annual basis or any sort of specific meetings maybe that you've attended or that you've heard of which are based specifically on CCUS that bring all the different parties together or is that something that's yet to be realized? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the ones, uh, the conferences that I normally go to are more technical and really specific. So I think uh, many of the delegates are from countries that are able to do those um, type of research. At the same time, I think that at the ministerial levels and different um, policy um, frameworks, um, that's where we probably would see more uh, collaboration mm. across the board. Uh, so how, how do you measure the success of a CCUS project? And what's the cutoff in terms of the metric tons of um, CO2 that could be captured? What is the cutoff? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the success, hmm, I think it really depends on um, project to project in a sense that some Projects are more about let's try this and learn from it. In that case, it might not, the, the first kind of the uh, test case may not be the one that's going to, you know, keep on going. I'd say bun- Boundary Dam may be one of, it's one of the biggest in the first um, such capture system that was installed for a coal power plant. Now, they have had some challenges along the way, um, and I've read some newspaper articles saying, oh, they're a flop, and it just costed this much. But 
you have to remember that those first kind of the test cases are invaluable for researchers to understand and learn from so that the second version or another kind of um, uh, yeah the next case is going to be more improved and so um, yeah we have to kind of keep on understanding it that way in terms of improving technology success is not necessarily measured by you know so many tons mm -hmm. um, but really depends on where it is in the technology development scheme that it resides okay the iea uh, the international energy agency report that you sent us it estimated that by 2030 and by 2070 china should be the greatest investor in ccus um, while currently based on the statistics it has the U.S. is the largest investor. So I was wondering what the the reason was for this estimated proportional rise of sort of CCUS investment in China as opposed to other countries in the world. Mm. Well, China is the biggest emitter so far in terms of greenhouse gases. And they are very active in trying to uh, capture, CC, uh, capture uh, carbon dioxide. Yes, U.S. has, the current administration has really put put out a lot of um, effort in supporting CCUS development and capturing CO2. Um, I think China is not uh, too far behind. Those two are the biggest emitters and uh, hopefully be the most active <laughs> <laughs> players in this field. Maybe we can move on to some case studies to understand more about CCUS. Um, so we read about the CCUS employed at Boundary Dam in Saskatchewan. So is that a benchmark for um, Canadian CCUS policy? And could you talk a bit more about this project and the technology that it uses? Mm. So Boundary Dam um, uses a aiming base capture system, and it is the world's first commercial uh, scale coal-fired uh, power plant um, CO2 capture. And it is considered that there are other um, more advanced um, CO2 capture technologies since then, um, but number of companies will think of this as a benchmark in a sense that it has been um, proven to work at that large scale. And companies uh, do not like to, well, they want to de-risk their investment in different technologies, so the proven ones are the ones that many of them would look at first. Um, that is not to say at this point that may be the best technology. We also read about the supposedly largest direct air capture project in the world, the 1.5 project in Actor Country, Texas, which I believe is quoted as being the largest, with I think 500,000 million, 500, million metric tons captured per year, if I get the statistic right. Uh, what do you think the potential is for this project? Is it something that can, is it something that, what's the scale that it's scale of the problem that it's addressing within Texas and do you think these projects of this scale can be scaled up to the rest of mm. the US and Canada? I, they're, I think they're using the carbon engineering technology if I'm, um, yeah, if I read that correctly. And that's something that is a, uh, been in Squamish, um, it's a company in Squamish uh, working on that. Um, air capture, is um, it's a little different um, from point source capture. 
in that. We've a boundary dam and other examples here up to now. We've been talking about more about point source capture um, from flue gas stuff. And the biggest difference, of course, is the concentration of CO2. The higher the concentration, the less energy you use in terms of separating it from the bulk. Um, so air capture uses a lot of energy, mm. period, um, relatively speaking. And so where does that energy come from? And, and it's all to do with really tracing that to see if it really makes sense. Mm. At the same time, air capture has really um, caught a lot of attention of investors and um, because it's not confined to a specific location. You could have it in the middle of desert where nobody is and perhaps use solar energy mm -hmm. to keep on just, you know, separating CO2. And so that kind of steers people's imagination to think, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is the way. Now, in my course that we teach at UBC, we do do a life cycle analysis to say, okay, it doesn't make sense sometimes in a given, given boundary conditions that we work in. Um, but nevertheless, it is advancing um, certain um, sectors in terms of capture technology. And so does it make more sense to situate carbon capture projects close to the source of emissions or would it also make sense in some cases to position it <coughs> slightly far away in, for example, a desert that could be experiencing air pollution? Yeah, well, it really, once again, depends on where the source is and where you're going to store it, mm. right? And you might want to have a air capture in where you have storage. You might want, because ultimately you can capture it, but you'd have to transport mm. it. And that's also going to have carbon um, intensity as well. So um, it really depends okay. on where and the situation. And then we've spoken about the carbon capture. We've spoken about the sequestration of storage. I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about the utilization. And once that storage, if the carbon is captured, if that gas is captured, if it isn't just stored away, what are some uses, some kind of utilizable uses mm -hmm. it has some productive uses that we can yeah that's a really active area of research um, currently happening and taking a look at uh, the possibility of converting to certain chemicals certain fuels um, and using it for battery system and energy storage uh, there's a lot um, going on at the same time anything you do would be um, based on having availability to green electricity. Otherwise, you're burning fossil fuel to capture CO2. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so then the question, and, and so the, the technologies are being um, developed and it will become available. And certainly there are a number of companies that are already making that um, uh, work. At the same time, when you have a limited um, amount of green electricity, how do you wisely distribute and use that? And that becomes more of a, a thinking around, you know, thinking in uh, systems to understand, well, if I'm gonna utilize the CO2 to make this fuel, but then would that have been better off 
having an electric vehicle. Mm. You know, those are some of the trade-offs that we still need to do and requires a lot of modeling and thinking at a higher level. Well, are there any other case studies that you would like to share? Well, there's another one, Sabante is one of them. It's a Burnaby company that has already um, also made big in the States and they use sorbents. Um, and um, I think that's a, another capture system that they have is based on these um, moving bed where the flue gas is contacted to the sorbents and then it, the whole kind of discs a disc moves over and then releases CO2. And uh, that's been a, a pretty good Canadian success story as well. Let's hope we have more of those. Just a quick sort of, I think, two more questions on the impacts and implications. Uh, what would be some social and environmental and economic considerations of employing CCUS? <laughs> well, um, there, I, I think it's contextual for mm-hmm. one. And um, I think for these technologies to actually become solutions, I think we really have to understand the technology a little bit better. And so the social implications in a sense that it is really kind of educating the public or educating the voters to see what this is about. And perhaps it's more like case by case in that contextually um, having to have people understand in cases where it makes sense to say these are some of the trade-offs at the end of the day there's no silver bullet we do have to make decisions very quickly Um, so how is CCUS um, compared to other alternatives and to have a really um, good look at those pros and cons are very important so I think I'm kind of talking more around education in that sense I do believe that in certain cases it could create um, employment and job prospects number of chemical engineers that we train at universities um, they normally have gone to oil and gas but it is so much more in a sense that we're now um, being able to use our skill sets to other areas such as CCUS and other um, clean energy production. Um, so there's different, lots of implications around that. Um, and I know you alluded to this earlier when you were talking about the specific case and weighing the pros and cons and trade-offs of either employing CCUS or then just simply transitioning on to cleaner source of energy because if you're using dirty fuel to kind of capture CO2, so then carbon accounting becomes maybe an important role. So I'm wondering, because there are so many different players involved, and since this episode is in a way a kind of bridge between two disciplines with an engineering professor being interviewed by two art students, uh, what are the different roles of sort of engineers and policy practitioners or social scientists in the development of CCUS and in mm-hmm. leadership of CCUS mm-hmm. in kind of the near and long term? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like engineers tend to focus too much on or we that's our job i guess to you know focus on the technology but we also need to be able to communicate that better to others and perhaps there room for policy focused um, folks and technologists to work together to truly understand how a solution can be collaboratively 
kind of uh, made so that there's certain policy in instruments that are going to allow certain technologies to become solutions. Um, those kind of opportunities, I think, will be become critical and uh, be able to have enough information um, out there to make the most appropriate decisions that we might be able to make. Um, it may not be the best of the best, but we are going to have to act quickly and um, being able to communicate and have uh, decision makers understand technology or the, the challenge more holistically may lead us to uh, being able to do that. And just as a closing note, I was wondering because based off of what we've heard, this does seem to be, I don't know if you'd characterize CCUS and support for it and like the public perception is polarizing where some people are either very for it, at least in certain cases like yourself and then the other people who are completely against it. I don't know if this characterization is accurate and if not, feel free to let us know. But if it is, then do you have any message for people who are advertently against CCUS? Do you have anything to say to them that might either make them see things your way or might influence them in some way. <laughs> well, I would have to say, I don't think CCUS is the solution either. However, there are certain cases that does make sense. And it's unfortunate that, I guess the polarization you're talking about is really um, some of the articles that are out there talking about, oh, it is extending oil and gas industry. Extending is... is in my um, opinion, well, in my opinion, it, it, we are in an energy transition. And so how do we transition into fully cleaner or renewable energy is, is a pretty messy place right now. And so I think we need to kind of be a little bit more open-minded to sort of say, how would this make sense in certain situations? Um, it's not black and white. It's not, oh, this is good or bad. It really depends. And so in that gray zone, how do we actually keep on having a dialogue like these and to really inform from a pretty neutral standpoint to say, okay, well, let's think about this. Does this make sense in this context? Mm -hmm. And be able to connect with different policymakers, um, you know, so, social scientists, technologists, and, and educators to say, okay, well, here we are. How can we um, come up with different solutions? I think that's, that's so much more uh, needed. Mm -hmm. And I do think that um, media has a lot of ways to play in that. It's not about sensationalizing and saying, oh, Boundary Dam was a flop mm -hmm. kind of thing, but really, what did we learn from that and where are we at right now? Um, what are some of the cases where it made sense? What are the cases that didn't make sense? And how can we really learn and move forward with this technology? I think it's not unique to CCUS. It's with any technologies. But. I think that's a simultaneously optimistic and realistic <coughs> note to end on. So I think <laughs> it could be a good place to end up. But thank you so much for doing this, Professor. And okay. Both of us learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.